Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7 this morning. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through uh, 7. As you're opening up there, let me say to you, Happy New Year. We're so glad you're here at First Baptist Church. What a joy it is to worship together. And what a year we've just experienced here. A year of hardship and trials for so many of us. A year of sadness and grief for so many of us. And yet a year of the triumph of the gospel of Jesus Christ here in our midst. And so we are grateful to God even in the midst of those difficulties. We're thankful for God for the highs and the lows. And I look forward personally, and I hope you'll join me in this hope uh, and in this uh, anticipation for what God will do in the coming year. We're excited about it here and looking forward to seeing what the Lord will do. I'm excited to see some of our final news and numbers out of, the, out of last year. I'm, I'm excited to see what God does this year as well. So thank you for being here. And let's, let's dig back into Galatians this morning as we look at this beautiful text that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. If you have your Bibles open there to Galatians chapter 4, why don't you stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Let's pray together. Oh God, would you open our hearts and minds today to receive your word. And God, it's my prayer we'll be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Several years ago... Uh, I had a wake-up call. Whitney uh, had taken a video of me on Christmas Eve. I was sitting in my chair, and as you, I'm assuming, know, it may be your first Sunday here, you may not know, we have a Christmas Eve service here every year at the church. And so um, Christmas Eve during the day, sometimes I'm a little preoccupied, especially several years back, I would be sort of preoccupied thinking about that, focused on that, and and, and, and a little nervous about how that's going to go, and is everything going to come together the way we hope it will. It's a big part of folks' lives and their Christmas celebration. And um, So normally, you know, I don't have a whole day to sit and dwell on church. Get up, get in here, preach. It's terrible, you know. Think about it all afternoon. If I do a bad job, I mean. Not, not that Nathan would, but you know what I mean. Eat some Mexican food, move on with your day. But it's a little different on Christmas Eve. you got all day to sit and think about it, dwell on it all day long. you got to think about it. So I saw this video and, um, uh, that Whitney had taken of Watsy sort of rejoicing in Christmas Eve. Our daughter is a great rejoicer. Um, she just gets excited about life. She's a lot like me in that way. 
sitting there, I've got my laptop out, and I'm focused and thinking about things and preoccupied. And she comes over, and she's singing and dancing and swirling around, and she leans onto my chair and says, I'm, she's saying, I'm so excited, it's Christmas Eve. And I say, Watsy, stop it, go. And then she goes back and finishes her thing. And I thought to myself when I saw that video, what good is it for me to spend my day thinking about how to come tell you about the Father's love when my kids couldn't even see their earthly Father's love? What good is that? It was a wake-up call for me to think through, not whether we should work hard or focus or take what we do here seriously. Of course we should, but how it impacts my heart and attitude. And is that what Jesus would want me to do that day? Is that how Jesus would want me to spend Christmas Eve, being a Grinch for Him? Well, of course not. Of course not. That whole episode crushed me because as I watched it, I, I recognized it was a sad thing. Now, she was nonplussed by it. She just moved on with her day. But nonetheless, it broke my heart because I know how much we as humans crave love. We crave love. Love. You can see the way in our society, the way folks are looking for love. You can see the way that someone often who was deprived of love by their primary caregivers and nurturers in their early life, the way it impacts the rest of their life. We crave love. We crave love because we were created to be loved by God. And our relationship with our Father has been broken by sin. And I think about this for a moment. Every one of us was born to know and love God. And because we're born into sin, and because we commit sin as soon as we can, even as children, we begin to sin and rebel against God. We recognize then that that craving for love can only be truly fulfilled if we know God, our Father. It's the new year. And I hope this year, 2022, that one thought will captivate you today as you begin this year. And I hope it will define your life this year. I, I, hope it will, I hope it will define your life in the years to come. And, and this may be a refresher for some of you, but I, I hope it's a refresher for all of us. But I know some of you probably are in a dark place right now. Some of you are wrestling with shame and guilt. And some of you beat yourself up all the time. Some of you were raised in an extremely legalistic Christian environment. And so it's hard for you to believe this thought. But I want this thought to consume you, to sit down on you. I want you to marinate on it for the rest of the year. You are beloved of God. God loves you. He, he wants to be your Father, a loving, heavenly Father. My friends, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And the love of God is upon you, Christian, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And O oh, sinner who has never repented, God loves you and He wants you to come to Him. He wants to be your Father by grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to show you three truths this morning that will help you understand what it means to be adopted into the family of God. You see, God's love is demonstrated to you through the gospel. And I think the most profound way we experience the love of God as Christians is by marinating on the truth that we are adopted into God's family. We're adopted into God's family. 
Don't you see that it would be one thing for God simply to forgive us? That's certainly magnanimous. That's certainly benevolent. That's certainly kind. And it would have been just plenty for God to say, okay, I forgive you of your sins, and now just, I guess, go make a good life for yourself. Move on. But God didn't simply forgive us of our sins. He brought us into His own family. Out of love, He adopted us. So this morning, I want to show you these three truths that show you how someone who's adopted into the family of God thinks. I believe you'll be enamored with the love of God. You'll get a sense, I hope personally, of the love of God this morning. Here's the first point today. Sons reject faithless religion. Sons reject faithless religion. Sisters, before we begin this, I've said this a few weeks ago, but it's been a while since we've been in Galatians. I don't add daughters to each of these for you, even though that's my instinct and my impulse is to do that, is to add daughters so that every woman here knows that she's fully included in these truths. But I want you to know that the Bible says the word son precisely because all of us, man and woman, Jew and Greek, all of us, Paul says earlier, are are one in Christ, and we receive the same inheritance as Christ. And in the world in which the Bible was written, females, daughters, wouldn't have received the same inheritance. So I hope each time when you hear sons, I know you got to do a little bit of mental math, just a little bit, really quickly. It means me too, but I, I hope it will actually accentuate the point. It means me too because of the Son of God. I'm treated just like Jesus, male and female, Jew and Greek, everyone. Here's, here's what I want you to see here, that sons reject faithless religion. Uh, sons reject faithless religion. Do you see what the Bible says in the first few verses here of chapter 4? I mean, he says, Paul says, that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. You see, an underaged heir would have had rules and regulations set upon his inheritance, and his life would have been managed by guardians and managers. It's even a little different than this idea earlier that Paul says of the law as a tutor. It's a little different than this, that a son, an heir, who, who had not received yet his inheritance, his life would be managed in these ways. And though he is the owner of everything, nonetheless, he would have authority set over him even beyond the authority of his parents. Thus, what Paul's saying is, in this certain situation, his freedom, this heir's freedom, is not much different than that of a slave. Not much different than that of a slave. The other day, Watsy was talking to someone. She's getting a lot of attention today, I guess. Um... She was talking to someone, and she said something like, you know, you can just, if you don't feel good or you just don't feel like going, you can just not go to church. And she said, we can't do that. <laughs> because of that guy. She pointed at me. And I was like, you got to be kidding me, you know. She's like, his problems are our problems. And uh, I said, that's true. My problems are your problems. But guess what else? My blessings are your blessings. As well, I had to teach her that lesson. My blessings are your blessings. You see, the, the reality is that this child here, this child, his problems are the problems of the guardians and the managers. They're being controlled. They're sort of being treated in a way that they don't feel it's like best. They don't have a full autonomy like they wish they had. 
Freedom's not much different than that of a slave. Now notice Paul takes this illustration, this idea, and he moves from that to this thought in verse 3. Notice what he says, in the same way. You see the logic of the text, right? This is a little illustration he set up. And he says, in the same way we also, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now this is a funny little phrase Paul uses. Elementary principles of the world. This idea carries with it some, some connotations. It's a, it's a phrase that Paul uses, first of all, I think, to talk about what here in this sermon I'm talking about is faithless religion. You see, Paul does something that sort of flabbergasted me the first time I realized it here in the book of Galatians. You'll recognize that Paul is talking to a group of formerly pagan converted Christians who have had a group of people come into their church claiming that to be faithful to Jesus and to truly experience the gospel, you need to go back to the law and add the law to the gospel. So there's two groups here in the church. You've got, obviously, people who were Jews uh, who have now come into the church, and then you have the Galatian people who were formerly pagan who have become Christians. And so you've had a group of, of sort of hyper-fundamentalist legalists come into the church and start distracting these people who used to be pagans. And, and the sort of things they used to do are shameful to even talk about. And they say, well, you really need to be even more holy than this. You need to let all of that go. The gospel's not enough. You need to go to the law. And so it's interesting then here that Paul now is speaking about the way some people follow the law, and the way pagan, pagans worship in the same way. He's connecting all of these to this idea, both sides of things. He's connecting them both to the idea of these elemental principles. It's faithless religion, but this term and this phrase throughout Paul, he uses it four times in his writings, it also carries with it a little bit of a connotation of satanic or demonic influence. You see, the whole, the whole world is under the power of the prince of the power of the air. And people are deceived by Satan and his demons. And so they begin then to become religious, but religious without faith. Let me put it like this. Religious superstition is religious superstition, whether it be Judeo-Christian legalism or outright paganism. That is, there are some people who hold to a sort of country-fried folk religion here in Alabama. They sort of say they believe in Jesus and mama and apple pie and football and all those different kind of things. It's just the way you do things. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen it. You don't get outside the lines. You act right. You go to church on Sunday, most Sundays at least, and that's what you do. But that's no better than Wiccanism or witchcraft or paganism, according to Paul. Or, or simply coming in and saying, I've got to follow all these rules to make God happy, and I've got to follow these certain little things for God to be pleased with me is really not much different than someone who carries a rabbit foot in their pocket believing it's going to bring good luck. And it's certainly even no better than those folks who use Ouija boards or whatever else, read Harry Potter or what, whatever else it is that's going on. You see, Paul is helping these former pagans see that pursuing a sort of faithless religious legalism that's not to say that the law 
was pagan. That's not what I mean to say. I don't think that's what Paul's saying. It would directly contradict what he's written elsewhere. What Paul's saying is the law was given to drive people to faith in God, but when it comes to into itself, sort of a rabbit foot or a talisman or a means by which we earn God's favor, it's no different than pagan rituals. All of these things are useless superstitions. It's why I think it's okay in church to have joy. Because superstition usually leads us to feel like we need to be sour and dour around everything that happens in the Lord's church because it's holy. But so often, that's nothing more than superstition. Someone who feels like when we take the Lord's Supper or when we baptize someone, it ought not to be joy. It ought to be ceremonial and ritualistic. Now, I'm not saying we should be disrespectful to the things of God, but what I do mean is these things don't have to be ritualistic. We have freedom in Christ and we have joy because we don't follow rituals. We follow Jesus by the Spirit. You see, Paul's helping these former pagans see that this faithless legalism that they've been sucked into is fundamentally not different from a return to paganism. You see, trying to go deeper into the things of God, even if you claim to know Jesus, by anything but faith, try to go deeper with the Lord by anything but faith actually results in you going away from the Lord. There's a great irony in it. I wonder if some of us can't feel and sense the love of God in our lives because ultimately we're trying to live like slaves and not like children. Ultimately, we're trying to serve and love God according to these elemental principles, these demonic principles that says you need to love God and earn His favor, that says if you do this for God, He'll do this back. This sort of common knowledge, this sort of way that people tend to think, this foundation of paganism and of faithless legalism is this idea that we need to earn God's favor. Maybe some of you are still trying to convince yourselves that you're loved of God because you're still trying to earn God's love. But my friends, sons, sons reject faithless religion. You see, it's time for us to move on past these elementary principles, this faithless religion, and embrace sonship by faith. You are a child God if you've put your faith in Jesus. Let's continue moving on here to the second point. Not only have sons rejected faithless religion, but second of all, sons have been adopted through Christ. Notice what Paul says next. He says, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, if you'll reject faithless religion and accept God by faith and run after Him by faith, I believe you'll experience God's love. But second of all, another way to experience the love of God and to have a better felt sense of the love of God is to remember what God has done for you. To just reflect on what God has done for you. And I don't know if there's a better place to do that in a quicker, more succinct, more powerful way than Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Consider this. Look at these verses. Look at what he says. Consider what God has done for you. Consider God's providential care. In the fullness of time, the Bible says. God wasn't late. God wasn't early. If you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, you know the the Gandalf line, a, a, a wizard's never late. He always arrives precisely when he means to. God's never late. 
God's never early. God's timing is always perfect. And in the fullness of time, God, according to His perfect, righteous, sovereign plan, sent His Son into the world to bring salvation into the world. There are all sorts of historical happenstance that surround when Jesus came into the world that shows the wisdom of God. But the reality is, no matter when it would have been, it was God's plan, it was God's time. He sent His Son into the world. God cares for us providentially. He's in control of history. Everything that happens, everything that moves through this world happens by the hand of God. You see God's independent action. God's independent action. God sent forth His Son. This was not a response to something somebody did. We didn't send a salvation committee up to heaven and say, okay, God, it's about time. We need some help here. This wasn't a squeaky wheel gets the grease kind of situation. You see this? The theologians call this aspect of God His aseity. A-S-E-I-T-Y. God is independent. There's nothing that acts upon God. Let me ask you this question. Raise your hand if you gave, received, or thought about presents in the last month. Any present? Anybody? Now, if I ask that question, let's say, in August, how many hands would go up? Maybe, maybe 25%. Maybe, right? For birthdays or whatever else. Some people are thinking about, well, maybe August. Maybe, let's just say in February. Well, not February, because Valentine's Day. Let's say March, right? Most of us aren't thinking about presents like we are in December. Why? Because something outside us is acting upon us. It's called the Christmas spirit, right? That's why you're out throwing elbows at Target at midnight. That's why you're hitting refresh on your web browser, hoping that that gaming system will show up in the inventory, right? That's why you're working so hard, writing letters, right, to Santa and his jolly elves at the workshop begging them for presents because Christmas is acting upon you. Something can't, comes upon us at Christmas, and we say, we want to give gifts to others. My friends, nothing came upon God. There was no season of grace where God said, well, I guess I better do something for them. There, there was no, no, no wave of love that came over God. He is always and will always be perfectly loving. He is totally independent. He is totally powerful. And He simply chose to send forth His Son. Do you see what God's done for you? His providential care. His independent action. Do you see God's miraculous entry into history? He didn't simply snap His fingers to save you. He came to where you are. He inhabited your space. He took on our flesh. He was born of woman. Do you see God's practical provision? He was born under the law, verse 4 says, to redeem those under the law. Now feel this. All that God's done for you, why? Verse 5. To redeem those who are under the law so that, feel the logic here? He did all these things so that we might receive adoption as sons. What magnificent love the Father has for us. How beautiful it is that we have been adopted. How 
glorious it is that we have been welcomed into the family of God. We were the ones, it was us and our sin who crucified the Son of God. It was us who rebelled. God was always perfectly loving and benevolent. We had no reason to rebel against Him. It was us who sinned. God is perfectly holy, and yet it was God who came to us. It was God who provided for us. It was God who saved us, and it's God who has adopted us into His family. Finally, third of all, sons embrace the spirit of adoption. Sons embrace the spirit of adoption. All of you know this truth in your minds. All of you have heard, I'm, adop- I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We've all sung it. We've all said it. And yet right now you might say, it's one thing to say it, preacher, but I just don't feel it. I'm just not experiencing it. All I can think of is a God who's, who's got his glasses down and looking down his nose at me, wondering why I'm not doing better. Sometimes I feel like for a long time, all we've heard sometimes are sermons and people talking about how we need to do better. And so it's hard to believe it in our hearts, to feel it, to sense it, to own the beauty of the grace of God and the gospel. But my friends, we have someone who's taught us the way. We have someone who's, who's given us a pathway on how to treat God like a father. We have a brother named Christ. Like the oldest grandchild in the family who sets the name for the grandparents. We have Jesus who's taught us the name for our father. He taught us how to pray to God, our father. He taught us how to cry out in agony in our darkest moments to our fathers. He taught us how to throw ourselves upon the will of our father and trust him when it seems like the worst possible thing to do would be walking in the way of our father. He taught us to walk with our father. He taught us to glorify our father. We have the example of Jesus and you have been adopted into the family of God and you can walk the way of your brother Christ calling God father trusting Him, knowing Him. But I can't help, you might say, but see God as cold and distant and disapproving. I see it in my mind, but I don't feel it. Oh, what grace we have that we have been given the Spirit of Christ. Because we are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Dad. Father, when we're scared, we can go to our Father. When we don't feel like it, we have the Spirit who cries out on our behalf, Abba, Father, you have the Spirit of Christ indwelling you to help you bring this truth to bear in your life. Brothers and sisters, you are no longer slaves, but you are sons through Christ. And if you are a son, then you are an heir through God. This life is not all you have. This world is not all you have. You have an inheritance set aside for you. You are a trust fund Christian who has perfect hope out in the future. You are a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of all creation. Do you see what the Bible says? You are an heir of God. You are an heir of God. Because of God's grace. And my friends, that's how we walk with Jesus. Not according to superstition. 
not according to superstition. Not, God's not going to look back and say, well, you ran in church one time, and you, you lied not in church, but in the fellowship Paul. Sorry, no love for you. That's not what God's going to say. You're an heir through Christ. You are not a slave. You're a son. Go, my friends. Go and live accordingly. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and hope and faith in Jesus for the first time, it would be my joy to talk with you and pray with you this morning. I believe if you turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God, faith through Jesus, you will be saved. You can talk to me now, you can talk to me later, or you can just pray right where you are, and I think Jesus will save you. The second of all, you may be a believer, and you just need some time to spend with the Lord to respond to this truth that you are a son, that you are an heir, that God has adopted you into his family. You take this time to pray, or if you want to pray with me, I'll be here, or you can just come to the altar. And finally, you may be looking for a church home. What a joy it would be on the first Sunday of the year to welcome you here to First Baptist Church. I'd love to talk to you today about what it means for you to be a member here at our church. After this prayer, I'd like to invite you to come. Let's pray together.